Text 51551. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Now, just a reminder, we're looking for two people to come on after four o'clock and take part in our Who Done It quiz. Uh, a great prize, uh, two nights stay for two people in the Fairways Hotel in Dundalk. And the question today, who received a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Screen Actors Guild Awards over the weekend? Was it Barbara Streisand or Tyg and Derry Fleming? Uh, 0818 715 925. That's 0818 715 925. Now, uh, 90 years ago this month, three armed men entered a bank in Taman in Wexford, a small little village. One of the men involved in the robbery offered the wife of the bank manager 10 shillings for her children to apologise for the trouble and the upset that they'd caused. This man's grandson is here to tell us the story of his granddad, Jack. Uh, he's put it all down in a book called A Seam of Emerald, the true story of one family and a 150-year struggle for Irish independence. And, and the man in question is Ray Knowles. Good afternoon, Ray. Hello, Ray. Thanks very much for having me on this show. <laughs> the two Rays, the two Rays. I, I believe you, you haven't met many Rays in your lifetime. I haven't. I um, I think you're probably the only other one I've ever met. Right. So, uh, hello, Ray. All right. Well, hello, Ray. <laughs> My dad was Ray. Uh, I've met a number really? of Rays over the... Yeah, I think, I think it's a popular enough name in Ireland of a certain age, you know. Um, so, Jack, Jack Kylie. Is your grandfather? Yeah, uh, and uh, a bank robber. My, that's 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 a claim, an infamous claim to fame. My my grandfather was a bank robber. Uh, yeah, I don't really want Jack to be defined by this one robbery. That's the thing. He was a bank robber, um, but there's a lot more to it. Than yeah, that. well, well, let's let's find out about Jack then, because you knew him as a loving granddad who was very interesting long before you found out he was a bank robber. That's right. Well, I, I used to go around and stay with my grandparents every weekend. And when I did, I knew they had some sort of secret, but I wasn't quite sure what it was. Uh, I knew he'd been in the IRA and I knew knew he told me he was a quartermaster and he did strange things like at one point when I was bored, he showed me how to solder a wire to the number 12 at the top of a clock and solder a wire to that hour hand and you could put a battery and a light in the middle and make the light come on at about 12 o'clock uh-huh. and I thought it was really cute when I was about 10 and then when I got to I about laugh, 14 actually. and 15 so I thought well hang on a minute isn't that a really good way to make a detonator so I thought I always knew there was something bizarre about him mm. and, what he got uh, and this was in Birmingham that was in Birmingham so your mother uh, Jack's daughter is that correct? Yes. Yes, yes. That's right. So yeah. they, uh, Jack lived in Birmingham uh, and he'd lived in Birmingham since about 1939 uh, when he came over after serving his time after this aforementioned bank robbery and he came over to England at a really, really tricky time. At the start of the war, um, you know, the, the, there was um, a lot of hardship in Ireland at the time and there was a lot of anti-Irish feeling in uh, England at the time. Fortunately, Birmingham wasn't too bad, um, but uh, it, it wasn't a good time to come over. But he, he came over for good reasons. Uh, and you, you say in the book that he wasn't your typical Irish man. We have to be careful now about stereotypes. But uh, he, he didn't drink, he didn't smoke, he didn't gamble. No, oddly enough, all my other uncles gamble and they drink and they sing and they do all these wonderful, wonderful Irish things um, <laughs> without stereotyping. Mm. But my, my granddad, no, he, he made pochine, oddly enough, but he never drank any of it. He never smoked. He never swore. He never, he was totally honest, which is really peculiar. I think he was honest all his life, apart from obviously robbing a couple of banks, Yeah, uh, <laughs> which, which is uh, bizarre. Uh, and just back to the pochine, because it does sort of, 
connect to other things we'd find out about Jack and his house back in Ireland later on. But he had the putching still concealed where? Well, in Birmingham, when yeah. I was a lad, um, I remember him asking me if I wanted to see something. I thought, OK, so we went down to the shed at the bottom of the garden. And in the shed in the bottom of the garden, he had a like a, a hidden, he was very good at these hidden compartments. And he opened this hidden compartment and inside was what I recognised from chemistry as a Lee big condenser and a great big copper pot. And he told me it was for making this pot sheen. I remember every Christmas he'd take it out. He'd make this pot sheen. My grandmother's brothers, who were hardened drinkers, they would splutter and cough over this stuff that he was making. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... It was probably 90% proof. Or... Well, I was t- I've been told that it couldn't be 90% proof. But what they did is they mixed the 90% with the first batch, which would have been 20%. They made some ah, like about right. 70%. Uh-huh. All the same, it would totally get you under the table. Yeah, yeah. So, so describe your relationship with your with your grandfather. Did he? Did you live in the same house, or did he live locally? Yeah, he lived in uh, basically a parallel road to the road that my mum and dad lived in, and it was in Spark Hill in Birmingham. And it was quite a close relationship. He was always busy doing something. And I remember in the 70s, he bought himself a um, a copy of the Daily Mail plans for making bungalows. Because right. at the time, I think, everyone was building a bungalow in Ireland. Uh, do you remember that? Yeah, there was, there was a time, yes. And, and people have been given out about it ever since. But like, oh, uh, yeah. OK. Well, it was, it was like mushrooms. And he yeah. decided to build himself a bungalow. So I went over with him, watched this bungalow gradually being built on the site of the older house that he had in a place He, he called, built it himself? He, with, a, with the help of a couple of cousins, yes. but basically himself. So he was 72 at the time. And I look at him and I think back to that and I think, how on earth did he have the energy to build yeah. this bloody house? You know, these bungalows, incredible. But he was a handyman and he, he would have introduced you to wood turning and other things. Yeah, I, he made shoes and he fixed watches. But in fairness, when I, when I started to think, where did he get that level of expertise yes. from? I thought, well, hang on a minute. Port Leash had a really good factory for doing both of those things. Did you know he had been in prison? No, I hadn't got the faintest right. idea. See, this is this is the mad thing because this man who you loved and you, that comes across in the book. There was this beautiful relationship between you as a boy and him as an older man, and him showing you the ways of the world, uh, and you had no no idea that I had no idea. Um, every time I went to Ireland, we went to Ireland practically every year. And I, we used to pop in to see this old friend of my grandfather called John Nolan. And he was like the local historian. And I always knew he had something he wanted to tell me. But when Jack was there, he was very circumspect about the uh-huh. whole thing. He didn't say anything. And then finally, when Jack was in the nursing home in Boris, I remember John saying to me, um, is, he all, you know, is he all there? And I said, yeah, no, he's all there. He said, will he be coming out of the home? And I said... No, he's not coming out in the home now. He's 97, he's not coming out. 97, great age. 97. And, um, and John said to me, he said, well, find out about Timon. And I thought, fine. So I, I left John and I hadn't got the faintest idea what he meant. Yeah. And, and Timon is where the, the, the bank robbery happened. Um, so there, were, there was a couple of hints, and maybe you just, with, with hindsight, I suppose, you're, you're seeing them as hints now. But you, one time you asked him, did he know about Liam Neeson, uh, the Irish actor? <laughs> yeah, that was really strange because I, my understanding of Irish history was pretty poor at the time. 
And there was a film coming out called Michael Collins, and it came out, I think, in 96 or 97. It was roughly the year that Jack died. Right. But it was obviously just before Jack died. And Jack was in the nursing home, and I used to go and see him and occasionally put him in the car, and we, uh, you know, I'd whip him off to these different places like St Mullins, which is Lovely, where Samuel yeah. was buried, and, and Kilclody so, itself, where he's where at the his ancestral home, where the yeah. mill was. And I said to him, uh, there's a great film out. It's about Irish history. Um, would you like to see it? And he sort of sat up and said, yeah, maybe. I said, it's called Michael Collins. And he said, he stood up, I remember, and he clenched his fists and he said, I would not set foot outside the door to see that man. And I thought, oh, because um, I hadn't got the faintest idea yes. why. I thought Michael Collins, well, isn't he some guy who helped win Irish independence or something? Why, why won't he so go here to we, So now we can, we can talk about Jack then. So J- Jack went to Dublin as a teenager. And I suppose in today's terms, you'd say he was radicalised by what he saw. Absolutely. I mean, everyone that's listening to your programme, I'm sure knows all the history of Ireland, so I won't bore you all with it. But effectively, Kilclonely, the homeland... We call it Hamlet in in England, very small place. I had suffered its more than its fair share of, I suppose, atrocities. I mean, the book goes back to 1798, obviously the the rising in 1798, but in Kilcloney it was particularly bad because um, Father Murphy had his um, his entourage, his five thousand men, camped on a hill in a place called Cum, called, called, sorry called Kilcumney, which is about a mile from um, Kilcloney. They were routed by the British forces and afterwards they came through that homeland and they started massacring the locals. Mm. So that was a story that would have been carried on. After that, there was a, um, a very famous Marquis uh, of uh, Waterford who Beresford. was... Beresford. Yeah. Who was the guy who painted the town red. So in Melton Mowbray in England, he was a young thug. He got asked by the tollkeeper to pay his toll. He decided he wasn't going to do that. He and his mates painted the tollkeeper red. So basically, this is the guy who gave the name to painting the town red. He's not the sort of guy you would want as, as your landlord. He had a dog called Buckshot and he had a number of hounds and he was quite annoyed that the hounds were being distracted from the fox by the um, his tenant's sheep. So he decided to evict the tenants. Yeah. That was the way out of that. Yeah, it, 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 the book is a great way into Irish history because it's it's told through the eyes of your ancestors, all the specifics mm. and all the terrible atrocities that happened to them at the hands of the British Empire, their landlords, etc. So this was the background which Jack That's was born into. Yeah. yeah. So, so by the time of you know by the time 1916 came, he was firmly of the opinion that the British weren't his friends. And then by the time 1918 came and conscription was um, um, promoted, that's when the poo basically hit the fan and he got involved in the War of Independence. Mm. Uh, and he was in the, the old IRA. Uh, he was G Company. So so they would have blown up bridges, ambushed. They, as far as I know, they blew up bridges. They <laughs> robbed mail trains. And I think... These different guys, they had specialisms. And Jack's specialism, it seems to me, was uh, robbing banks or robbing post offices. Right. Um, other people would have been in explosives and so on and so forth. Uh, and uh, this was all to fund the cause? 
This was to fund the fight against the British yes, during the War yes. of Independence, and it worked really well. And eventually, as you know, in 1921, it all came to a head and there was a, a treaty. Mm. Uh, and, and enter uh, Michael Collins, who, who comes back <laughs> uh, uh, with the treaty in his back pocket. Uh, and uh, some people, including Jack, weren't too happy with that. That's right. I mean, I'm a, prag- a pragmatist, and as I say in the book, I... You know, it's far from me as an Englishman, I suppose, to talk about Irish history. But it seems to me that what Collins brought back seemed to be fairly pragmatic. But Jack wasn't of that opinion. And he had been radicalised, if you think about everything he'd been through Mm. before. And he decided to side very firmly on de Valera's side. He got involved in the Civil War. There was a great skirmish in Grainy that he was involved in and so on and so forth. And the Civil War ostensibly ended in 1923. But, of course, for some people, it's never ended. And it's still, for some people, ongoing. Mm. Um, and but certain- parallel to this, yeah. parallel to the oppression, of course, uh, and the politics, there was poverty, horrible poverty. Uh, and for Jack's family, the mill had, had closed down and he had tried a shop over in Wexford. That hadn't worked out. He was bankrupt. Well... Absolutely right. So you're right. I mean, there was during the Free State time when Jack was uh, was on the uh, anti-treaty side. The Free State broke up the mill. His family's um, income stream totally disappeared. Um, he carried on robbing banks into 1926, basically to disrupt the state yeah. until De Valera came in in 1932. Once De Valera was in, that seemed good. The IRA was almost quasi-legal. But then de Valera started this trade war with Britain. He'd been hit by the um, Depression in 1929. And as you quite rightly say, at that point, Ireland was in a very, very bad economic way. Yes, as, and Jack was. And, and, and Jack was. And, but he had a skill set. Uh, a specialism, as you call it. And that was robbing banks. That's and, exactly and, right. So, so he convinced his, his brother Jazz and a local guy, what was his name? Young. Well, I won't mention his name on, right. on air, but his, na- his name was Jim. It's in the book. Yeah. I, I was told that maybe I shouldn't mention no, his, his name. No, his surname. Okay, yeah. Yeah, his surname. Yeah. So, so they, they decided that they would do what they had done in the past, this time for personal gain as opposed to for the cause. I think that's absolutely right. In fact, so sure, they sure. calculated that if, they, if, they're, you know, if the amount of money in the bank was what they thought, that they were all set up for life. Well, it... Exactly right. And it was going to be, well, th- there were a few problems that they didn't foresee. But as far as I understand from reading the court papers and the newspapers, the Jack and his brother were in sitting in Kilcloney. This young man, Jim, he came in and they were bemoaning the fact there was no money in the country yeah. and that they didn't have any money. What should they do? And I think almost on a whim, they decided that they just rob a bank. And the bank they chose was the one in Timon. Yeah. Uh, so the Loves, um, George and Elsie Love. George was the bank manager and Elsie was his wife and they had three children. Uh, and they lived over the bank in Timon. Um, and of course, we have to remember that there was no communication. There was no telephones or anything like that. So the lads drove up in their, in their car uh, from where they were. Uh, and at some stage in the middle of the night, they knocked on, they broke in and they knocked on the bedroom door of George and Elsie. They did. Yeah. It was about two o'clock in the morning and Elsie must have been one strong woman because she said um, when she saw them with the guns and they were, they, they, they'd got George and they'd pushed him back into the bedroom, she said, look, you're waking the kids 
I need to go and sort out the kids, whatever you're yes. doing. So, I mean, what a strong woman to do that. And she actually said, keep it down. And, yeah. uh, and Jack obliged, yeah. according to the court yeah, reports. Absolutely right. And he also, he also offered money for the kids, as I said. Well, yeah. So, I mean, the first thing that Jack did was he brought George down to the safe and told him to open the safe. And George said, well, I can't open the safe because you need two keys. Mm. It's myself and the cashier. Connery. Connery. Yeah. So that was the first whammy. The second whammy was that he had been a fair day the day before. Now, I would have thought that a fair day, loads of money would have gone into the bank. But in fact, the opposite was true because what people did is they took money out to buy livestock. And when they'd sold their livestock, they basically so, uh, they paid off most of their debts. Uh-huh. So the money in the bank was low. You needed two keys to open the safe. Yes. So... There he was, two, three o'clock in the morning, wondering what the hell to do at that point. So they had to walk through the village to get Connery up out of bed for the second key, walk him back up, open the, the, the vault, and then disappointed to find under only £796. Yeah. They were expecting thousands. They were expecting thousands. Yeah. So um, very, I suppose, unfortunate from their point of view. I mean, Jack was always described as a small man, and in uh, the newspaper reports... George talks about this small man. They were all hooded. They all had white hoods on with little slits. So they must have been quite scary um, carrying their guns. But in the end, they took the money and basically ran. Uh, And and I know you you were desperate to find good in your grandfather. Was was it a shock when you were reading that for the first time in in the, the court reports and the local papers that your dad had been involved in an armed robbery? So, like, you can imagine the terror with Elsie and the three children uh, and maybe they suffered. They could have suffered from post-traumatic stress afterwards. All of that. Did God, you, God that go, don't rub no, it no, in. No, 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 but I'm wondering, I know, because, because you know, it's, it's, it's important we don't glamorise an armed robbery. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. When you say I, I was desperate to show him in a good light, I suppose that's slightly true. Although... His entire history, I saw him in a good light, and so did, as far as I understood, everybody yes, else. Yeah. This was a real, uh, I don't know whether it's a not an anomaly. He'd, re- he'd obviously robbed banks before, he'd robbed the Bunclody Bank before, but to actually appear in somebody's house with their children and their wife there and demand money mm. at, the, at the end of a gun, yeah, it's not the best look no. in the world. But all I can say is he did try and placate uh, Elsie Love, like you say. You let her go off to... See he did apologise for waking him up in the middle of the night. He said, this is... This is yeah, we're <laughs> so a, sorry. a gentleman thief. <laughs> yeah, a, a bit of a raffle. Yeah. Bit of an Irish, but he said, um, you know, he said things like, here's 10 shillings for the kids. Yeah. I wish Elsie said, no, I won't accept any stolen money, yes. which is quite proper of her and quite understandable. And he apologised for breaking the window. And in fact, his brother, Jazz, tried to actually mend the window very, very badly. And he said, this is a case of dire necessity. I'm, And the truth was, of course, that because of everything that was happening in Ireland at the time, because he'd recently been made bankrupt from his business in a place called Carricombano, and he had two young children, like you say, his only real alternative for turning things round after giving everything he had to the cause, rightly or wrongly, whichever cause you believe in, but what, giving everything there, maybe he should just pop his hands in the till and take a little out for himself. Yeah. I, I suppose people would say that there were thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in a similar situation to him and none of them robbed a bank. No, that's true. That, yeah. That's true. 
and, and there's great detail of uh, Kilcloney and the house and all the secret compartments. That's we mentioned the secret compartment in, in, in Birmingham and he had been a quartermaster in the IRA so there were weapons concealed here, there and everywhere and in fact when the, the police finally caught him he was concealed uh, in, in a wall it seemed. The, that's absolutely right. The police tracked him down to kill Cloney. There was a lot of anti-Treaty people around at the time that they tracked down. They knew who to look for. What year are we now? We are 34. Okay. So even then, there were people who, you know, right the way up to 39, don't forget there were bombings in Birmingham in 39 with Sean Russell and so on and so forth. But anyway, um, just going back to kill Cloney. So the police went to kill Cloney. They knew there was something weird going on because every time my grandmother came out to put washing on the line, she locked the door behind and then she went back in, she locked the door again. The police were looking through the window. They noticed that the old woman, who was my great-grandmother, was always sitting on this particular bench or the kids were sitting on this particular bench. The police got a warrant to go in for firearms. They went through, through the door. There was all sorts of hubbubs and the kids were put sitting on this particular bench and it all seemed rather strange. Uh-huh. And then, of course, they asked the children to stand up from the um, this bench. And the police officer, a guy called O'Brien, he pulled the bench away from the, the wall. And he found out half the wall came away with it. And behind it, they found the sleeve of a man. Well, not the sleeve, they found the, the arm, arm of yeah, a yes. man. And, of course, he was the short man, the small man. And he was a short four. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they pulled him out. He wasn't very keen. They pulled him out. How long did he spend in prison? Well, he got seven years. Seven years, and his brother got five. five that's yeah. right. And yeah. the other chap, he got just a year because he turned uh, King's evidence. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's a fascinating read. It's fascinating. Oh, thanks. It's right, a fascinating right. read, and it, like people are, they've an insatiable appetite for true crime. There's there's definitely a podcast or something in you. Well, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I've, I've done podcasts before. I know, but not, you know, there's a no, de- like detail. That, yeah. I've heard some really, of your podcasts. There's two lads sitting outside a pub having a chat. you know, uh, <laughs> we must have done 15 episodes, and I reckon at the end of that, we must have got about six or seven <laughs> regular listeners. <laughs> you must have at least half a dozen, I would have said. <laughs> yeah, that's six or seven as well. <laughs> Ray Knowles, a real pleasure, a theme of Emerald, and it's available to download, isn't it? It's available to download, but unfortunately not in Ireland. So you can okay. get the Kindle version here, but you can't get the printed version sent over to Ireland which is one of the reasons I'm over in Ireland right. so I've got it in the Wexford bookshop the um, Waterford bookshop the Kilkenny bookshop you can get it in Bagnallstown and hopefully uh, I'll be able to spread it out after yeah. your show maybe it's a, it's a great read it's a great read uh, and, and it's Thanks, great Ray. insight into your your family and it's, it's really well written as well and you, the love for Jack as a grandfather and a bank robber is there in every page uh, thanks Ray thanks very much Ray The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1.